If you are just gathering here for the first time, we are on the tail end of a series that we have been in throughout this entire summer simply called Endgame. And in this series, uh, we have been studying the book of Matthew chapter 24, which many of you know is where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he is discussing with them exclusively the events surrounding his second coming, the end of the age as we know it, and the ushering in of the kingdom of God. And our commitment to you right from the beginning of this series is that we were going to steer away from the sensational and from the speculative and that we were going to view all of this information through the lens of the practical. What does this mean to me today? How does this apply to my life right now? Um, How does it help me live more effectively? And how does it push me into a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? We are fully aware that whenever you talk about the end times and the coming of the Lord and the coming kingdom of God, that it's very easy to let that information get away from you and before long you start entering into the speculative and and the sensational and we want to steer away from that. I believe that even when we look at prophecy, it should always be answering the practical questions. How does this apply to me right now? How does this help me live more effectively? Make wiser choices, better decisions. And how does this information push me into a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? And I believe that you're going to see that even more so in today's material. Because today, we are going to introduce a theme that is going to take us a couple of weeks. We're going to begin today, but we'll have to finish it next week. And that's because today, we are going to talk about the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If there is one thing that the Bible is clear about, it is that Jesus is coming again. Can I hear an amen? Jesus Christ is coming again. And though all in the church, not just this church, but really the body of Christ at large, even though we may not all agree on the particulars concerning the coming of Christ, we all agree that He is coming again. And when it comes to the return of Jesus, it is very important for you and I to keep straight in our mind that there are two phases or there are two um, stages of His return. There is the rapture of the church and that will be followed at some point after that by the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now many Christians confuse them and they believe they're interchangeable, that they are one in the same. And they will say that the rapture is the second coming and the second coming is the rapture. But that is not the case. In the Bible it is clear that they are two very separate and distinct events. We believe that the next event to take place on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. And that at some point after that, no less than seven years after, but maybe more than that, will be the second coming of Jesus Christ. Two distinct events and two very distinct purposes. The rapture is when God is going to gather all of the redeemed unto himself And the rapture, or excuse me, the second coming of Jesus Christ is when he physically comes back to the earth and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he will rule and reign forever in a millennial reign of peace for the glory and the honor of God. So they are two very distinct events, two very distinct purposes. And today we're going to focus our attention on the rapture of the church. We believe that that is the next event. And then next week we will focus in upon the second coming. Now to get started here, I want us to read this portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to begin with verse number 29. Immediately, this is Jesus speaking, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, that is not the eclipse. Okay, (laughs) have you heard that one? Okay, 
The eclipse does not mean Jesus is coming, okay? Please, don't buy the books. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Just keep that straight. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all of these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And I am thankful that God's word will always prove to be true in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, give the Lord praise for that if you believe it. Amen. Now, before we really get started here, I want to make something very clear. In this portion of Scripture, in fact, in all of Matthew 24, Jesus is not talking about the rapture. It is very important for you to understand that Jesus is not talking about the rapture here, and He's not talking about the rapture throughout the whole of Matthew 24. Um, Even later, in verse 40 and 41, when He talks about two men and two women being in the field and grinding and one being taken and one left. He is not talking about the rapture. I know that that is a popular belief, but it is clear in this context that he is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ when he physically and visibly returns to the earth. So he is not talking about the rapture here. I'm simply using that text as a launch site for this discussion on the broader issue of his return. And again today, we're going to focus upon the rapture of the church, which we believe is the next prophetic event to take place. And then next week, we'll focus in on the second coming of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to use a portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul very vividly, very graphically describes the rapture in a letter that he wrote to Christians living in the ancient city of Thessalonica. So if you have your Bibles still open, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. We're going to begin there at verse 13 in a moment. As you're going there, let me quickly make two observations. First of all, I want you to remember this, that when the Apostle Paul, excuse me, when the Apostle Paul came to Thessalonica, he was only with them for several weeks. And he had already talked to them about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the reason that I point that out is because there are some people, maybe even here this morning, that would say, I don't know, Pastor Kurt, maybe the rapture and the second coming are a little too deep a little too heavy for a Sunday morning. Maybe you should talk about that on Sunday night or Wednesday night or an off night because the message of the rapture and the second coming of Christ, it's hard to get your mind around. It it might be really deep for a new believer or someone that has not even accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And to that, all I can say is the Apostle Paul would disagree with you. Because after just three weeks of being with them, he is introducing these babes in Christ to the message of the rapture, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Evidently, Paul thought this was vital enough that even new believers needed to walk in a constant state of expectancy, knowing that Jesus Christ could return for his church at any moment. He felt that they needed to know that. Now the second observation that I want to make here before we start is the historical context of this letter. 
you have to remember that as Paul is writing this letter, persecution is breaking out all throughout the Roman Empire. And even in Thessalonica, there were Christians who were losing their loved ones, their family members, and their friends to martyrdom because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they were overwhelmed with grief because they didn't know if they would see their loved ones who had died in Christ ever again. you got to remember that the church is still very much in its infancy. And so they are still unclear. They are still uncertain about the rapture and the resurrection and the implications of that. They're still trying to work through the teaching of the rapture and the resurrection. And so they're asking questions. Are we ever going to see our loved ones who have died in Christ again? If they miss this rapture, are we ever going to expect to see them in heaven? Will they get to heaven? Are they going to be disembodied for all of eternity? They just didn't understand it. And it's to that that the Apostle Paul sits down and he writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians, and look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now I want to assure you that when he starts out there saying, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, he is not in any way dealing with their mental capacity or the lack thereof. He is not insulting them in any way. Rather, he is speaking to the fact that these things were at that moment unknown to them. He says, we don't want you to be unaware of the... Believers who have fallen asleep in Christ. We don't want you to misunderstand. We want you to be in the know concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. I love the fact that Paul refers to those who have died in Christ Jesus or died having made Christ their Lord and their Savior as fallen asleep. He doesn't refer to them as being dead He refers to them as having fallen asleep. And i got to tell you that in and of itself, that gives us a great sense of hope. Because if you're dead, that's final. But if you are asleep, then you can be awakened. I mean, it just stands to reason if you're dead, you're dead. But if you are asleep, then all it takes is an outside force to wake you up. And that is what Paul is saying. They're not dead. That would be final. Instead, they're asleep and there is an event coming that will wake them out of their sleep. i got to tell you this. Um, the day that we flew out to California a couple weeks ago, I didn't sleep well that night. We didn't go to bed till about 10.30. I had to preach at a church that same night and I came home and we got to bed about 10.30. We had to get up at 2 because our flight was at 6 in the morning. And I woke up about 12 and I was wide awake. I don't know about anyone else, but I don't sleep well on the night that we're about to leave. I'm just too keyed up. I'm anxious. I'm ready to go. I woke up at 12. And so needless to say, when we got on the plane, I did something I never do when I fly. I slept. I am not a sleeper on the plane. Any of you like me, I just can't sleep when I'm on the plane But I was so dog-tired that morning that within minutes after taking off, I was in la-la land. I didn't even know that the stewardess had come to give us our drink orders. I was sitting on the aisle, Kathy was in the middle, and there was a very nervous lady sitting by the window. Very nervous flyer. You could see her white knuckle the whole time we were gone. And, you know, I didn't know that she was so nervous that she ordered two, two, Rum and Cokes, okay? I didn't know this. I'm asleep. I'm right out. And all of a sudden, I am wakened out of my sleep with ice cold water pouring down my head all over my shirt. I mean, just doused. And I woke up, and then my eyes started burning. And I realized, this isn't water. She had dropped all of the rum on me. The preacher. I must have looked like a sight coming out of the terminal and, you know, I just, 
because I'm sleeping, you know, and then I smell like a brewery, you know, and it, or distillery. I mean, it was just really funny. I, when, we, when we stopped in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, we had a little layover there, I texted the kids and I said, I have been to countless football games at the vet. How many of you remember the vet? In the 700 level. As a cowboy fan and managed to get out of there without one drop of beer on me. Yet my first flight to California, I get baptized in rum. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I was awakened by an outside event. And that's what Paul is saying. They're asleep and one day there is an event that is going to wake them up. I don't know if you knew this, but early Christians actually called their burial sites cemeteries. And I don't know if you know what cemetery means. It means a sleeping place. They never saw their dead in Christ as being dead, but rather they were asleep. And Paul wanted these new believers to not grieve as the others in the world grieve, which is to say that they grieve without hope, but rather that he had a message to give to them that even though they would grieve, there would be this underlining, sustaining hope within their heart that they had not seen the last of their loved ones, but they would see them again for the glory and for the honor of Almighty God. So, that brings us to verse 14. Take a look at it. We're going to go through this verse by verse this morning. For if we believe, Paul says, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God, now listen to this, will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now it's here that the Apostle Paul shares with us the foundation or the basis of our belief in the rapture and the resurrection that will happen at the same time. And it's this, that Jesus died and he rose again. Notice that it doesn't say that Jesus slept. It says that Jesus died. And that was on purpose. Because what Paul is underscoring is that Jesus in his death took upon himself the very penalty of sin, which is death. That his death satisfied God's obligation to judge sin. And so now Jesus has tasted death for all of mankind, Hebrews chapter 2 says. And now for anyone who believes upon Christ and surrenders their life to his will, death now becomes sleep. Jesus died so that we would sleep in Christ and know that one day he would awaken us to glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? But not only did he die, he rose again. And as he said at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes upon me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And because we believe that he died and he rose again, we are now gripped with the irrefutable fact that, and listen to this wording again, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That is very, very important. He is bringing those who sleep in Christ with him when he comes. If he's bringing them with him, that means that the dead in Christ are already with him. Right? If he's bringing them with him, that means they're with him currently right now. And the reason I stress that is because you know as well as I do that there are many Christians... And they are still Christians. I don't believe in any way this impacts your salvation. But they believe in what is called soul sleep. And they believe that when a Christian, a follower of Christ dies, that they are in a state of soul sleep. That they enter into a time of unconsciousness. That even as you go to sleep and you're asleep for hours but it feels like a few minutes when you wake up, that those individuals are in a state of soul sleep. They could be in the ground for thousands of years, but it wouldn't mean anything to them that they're going to be awakened at the resurrection. Well, we reject that. We believe what Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. 
We believe what Paul said. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is a simultaneous thing. As I am absent from the body, I am immediately present with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And even this verse underscores that. He says that God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus Christ. We believe that when a believer passes away, that immediately their spirit goes to be with the Lord and they are there with Him until the rapture and the resurrection. And when Christ comes, He will bring them with Him. He will bring their bodies that they walked in, in the earth, out of the grave. They will be united together in a glorified body like Jesus had when He rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. That is what we believe the Word of God teaches. He brings them with Him because they are already with Him presently. And that brings us to verse 15. For this we say to you by the Word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So he says, listen, if you're worried about your loved ones who have died in Christ, who have been martyred for their faith in Jesus, missing out on this event, you need to know that in no way are we going to proceed before them. That they're actually coming with the Lord and their bodies are going to be reunited with their spirits in the air. And it's here that Paul refers to this event we call the rapture that will involve all of those who have died in Christ returning with the Lord and those who are in Christ living on the earth at the time that this resurrection takes place. So all of the redeemed of all of the ages are going to be involved in this rapture. Jesus was actually referring to the rapture in John 14 and verses 1 through 3 when he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And many of you know that a better interpretation of that or translation would be rooms. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He says, I don't want you to be troubled in this earth. Because even though I am going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, then you know that one day I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You know, every once in a while you start looking at Scripture to find you know, even more Scripture that supports the, the position that you have been taught And the other day I came across one that I had never considered before. It's in Isaiah chapter number 26. And it's interesting because some people say, well, the rapture's not found in the Old Testament. Well, take a look at this. This is Isaiah 26, beginning at verse 19. There is no literal uh, fulfillment of this that we are aware of. So it clearly is pointing to the end of the age. And it says, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Clearly, he is talking about the resurrection. And then he says this, Come, my people, enter your chambers. And in the Hebrew word, in the Hebrew language, I should say, that word chambers is is actually defined as rooms. And it makes you wonder, was Jesus actually hearkening back to Isaiah 26 when he said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. He says, come my people, enter your chambers, your rooms, and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is passed or until judgment is passed. Behold, the Lord comes out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. That is clearly referring 
to the resurrection of the dead and I believe the rapture. And in fact, specifically, he seems to be talking about a pre-tribulation rapture where he redeems all of the saints of all the ages out of the earth before the judgment comes. How many of you are thankful that the Bible clearly says that we have not been appointed unto wrath? God has not appointed us to go through His judgment. And He says here that He's going to redeem all of the saints of all of the ages out of the earth before the judgment ever comes. How many of you are thankful that God has got us taken care of in Jesus' name? Now, that's the rapture. But what is it going to be like? You know, what's going to happen? You know, what is this mysterious event? What is going to take place? Well, he starts covering that at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now folks, this is an exciting word and I, I want to break it down with you, but I don't want this to be academic. The last thing that I would want you to feel like is that you're in a classroom today because this is a message of hope. This isn't just a teaching that we want to give to you. This is a message that gives life and that gives us hope even in the days that we live in. So as I go through it, would you just get excited about what awaits those who truly follow Jesus Christ with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength in Jesus' name. The Bible says that it will begin with the Lord Himself descending from heaven. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And I underscore himself because Jesus is not sending our loved ones for us. He is not sending the angels for us. He himself is coming to meet us in the air. I don't know how he's going to do it. But He is going to reveal Himself to every one of us. The Lord Himself is coming to redeem us in Jesus' mighty name. But it says that He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. I do not believe in a secret uh, rapture. I believe that everyone is going to know that when he comes, there's going to come a shout. There is going to come a shout like the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. You know, I always think when I think of the, the shout there of Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus and the Bible says that he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And I believe that that shout is to awaken the dead in Christ from their graves to be united with their spirit spirit in the air in Jesus name he'll come with the sound of the archangel it says now whether that means that his voice is going to be like an archangel or if that is the archangel that is going to announce his coming we don't know it really doesn't matter but then it says that he will come with the sound of a trumpet as well and he is hearkening back to the Old Testament when they would sound the trumpet to gather all of Israel and this is what God is going to do he's going to sound the trumpet to gather all of the saints of all the ages unto himself in Jesus name it is going to be heralded it is going to be uh, proclaimed it is going to be announced I do not believe in a secret rapture that no one will know what happened no 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 you're going to know it I believe that everyone left on this earth is going to hear it they're going to see it and sadly they're even going to feel the effects of billions of men and women taken out of this earth in one moment of time they will hear it all, they will see it all, and they will feel the effects of our taken from this earth. Now, some people would at that point say, well, man, Pastor Kurt, wouldn't that lead to an international revival? I mean, if everyone hears it and sees it and feels the effect, wouldn't that just bring billions of people to the faith in Jesus Christ? You would love to believe that. And even though there are going to be many people saved during the tribulation, most of it will just go unheeded. It's hard to imagine that. Personally, this is on a personal note, I believe that the governments of the world and the politicians driven by the media today will come up with 
a reason for it, an explanation for it. And because men and women have sold themselves to governments and to the media, they will believe the lie and they will go on life as usual. That it will be all explained away and men and women will just move on with life. And more than just my opinion, I want you to consider what Paul wrote in his second letter to the Thessalonians. Because in that second letter, he said that God will send men and women a strong delusion because they did not believe the truth and they will believe the lie. God says anyone that had the opportunity to respond to the truth but did not receive the truth, I'm going to send them a strong delusion and they will believe the lies of that hour because they did not love the truth. You know, every once in a while you'll hear somebody that will say, you know, if I miss the rapture, then I'll know it's real and I will accept Jesus then. You are banking on something that does not scripturally hold up, folks. The Bible says today is the acceptable day of salvation. The Bible makes it very clear that if you keep rejecting it, if that rapture takes place, God will send you a strong delusion. You'll believe the lie and you will not be saved. You will be given exactly what you wanted an eternity without God. Folks, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, respond to Him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Then listen to what He says. The dead in Christ will rise first. We've already talked about that. That the first ones to respond will be the dead in Christ. Their bodies will come out of the graves. God will gather them up from the oceans. He will gather them from wherever they were laid to rest. And they will meet their spirits in the air and be transformed in that moment to a glorified body. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, and I'm going to stop there real quickly. Then we, Paul included himself. It's important to note this. Paul included himself with those individuals who would be alive and well on the earth at the coming of the Lord. And that's important to note. Paul believed that it was entirely possible that the rapture would occur in his lifetime. Paul absolutely believed, not that Jesus would come in his lifetime, but that Jesus could come in his lifetime. He says, then we who are alive... Paul believed it was entirely possible that the rapture would occur in his lifetime. It's so important for you to understand that the rapture of the church, not the second coming, but the rapture is an unscheduled and unsigned event, which is to say that there is not one prophecy that has to be fulfilled before Christ can rapture his church away. There has never been a prophecy that has had to be fulfilled in order for Jesus to come for his church. Never. It is unscheduled. It is unsigned. There is nothing that has to be fulfilled before Jesus comes for his bride. We believe in the imminent, imminent return of Christ, which means he could come at any moment. We're not waiting for anything else to be fulfilled. All of the signs that are in Scripture are, are signs for the second coming, not the rapture. The rapture could happen even before we finish this message today. The early church was absolutely convinced in the imminent return of Christ. You can even see shades of it in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse number 9 where Paul says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The church believed 
that Christ could come in their lifetime. And we need to be convinced that Christ could come in our lifetime. Not that He will come in our lifetime, but we need to walk with that imminency within our heart. Christ could come at any moment. Incidentally, there are those who actually argue that the rapture, and I I want to point out some of these things, they argue that the rapture is a relatively recent development and that it only came to be in 1830 and it was popularized by a man named John Nelson Darby. If you ever hear this argument, I want you to remember the response to this. Because there are people that will say, "Now, you know what, the early church didn't believe in the rapture. The early church fathers didn't believe in the rapture. For hundreds and thousands of years, no one believed in the rapture. It wasn't until 1830 that a man named John Nelson Darby started talking about a rapture, and we all started believing it. Well, that is not true. All that John Nelson Darby did was reintroduce what the Bible clearly teaches us. That's all he did. See, what happened is, after the first century Christians passed away, the church slowly moved away from the literal interpretation of Scripture and started trying to look at it figuratively and spiritually. We are always to study the Word of God literally when it can be taken literally. Always. Don't don't forget that. We don't look for spiritual and figurative fulfillments. We are looking for the literal interpretation of the word of the living God when it can be. Uh, Certainly, there are figurative words in Scripture. And there's times when you know that he's using analogies. We get that. But whenever we can take it literally, that's the way that we are to take it. And the church moved away from that with prophecy and got figurative and and got spiritual. And all that Darby did is say, no, let's get back to the literal interpretation of these things. And when you do that, you can't arrive at any other conclusion except that Jesus Christ is coming again to gather his saints to himself in Jesus' name. Then he goes into this. He says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. So now he's talking about those who are still alive at his coming. They are going to be raptured. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, our bodies are going to change. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He talks about how in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this mortal is going to put on immortality. And again, presumably, we are going to have a glorified body. We're going to have a body very similar to the body that we live in right now, but it will be glorified. It is not going to, in any way, shape, or form, be hindered by space, time, or matter. We will be able to do things we could never do physically, and we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I also want to point this out, that some people deny the rapture, saying, well, I don't believe in the rapture because the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, neither is Trinity. But we all believe in a triune God. In fact, the very first time that we are introduced to God, Genesis 1 and verse number 1, the name for God in the Hebrew language there is Elohim. And Elohim is a plural word. The very first time we're introduced to God, it is in a plural sense. And then not long after that, we've got God saying, let us... Make man in our image according to our likeness. He's not talking to the angels there. He's talking to the other members of the Godhead. So Trinity is only a word that we have to describe what the Bible teaches. And that's the same thing with rapture. Rapture may not be in the Bible, but it is a word that we use to describe being caught up. Where did it come from? One of the earliest translations of the Bible was into Latin. And the Latins used the word rapture for being caught away or being caught up. And that's what it means. It just means that we are snatched away. In the twinkling of an eye, which is quicker than a blink, we are all going to be snatched out of this earth to meet the Lord in the air, not on the earth, that will come later, but we'll meet Him in the air. And watch this, the Bible 
Bible says we will always be with the Lord. There will never be any more temptation. There'll never be any more backsliding. There'll never be any more falling away. Forever we will be with our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. The journey will be over. Come on, I can get a better amen out of it than that. Now, that's what the rapture is. That's what's going to happen. But how does that apply to me today? How does that help me live more effectively? And how does it push me to a deeper, more intimate relationship with Christ? Well, there's three thoughts that come to my mind. And by, by no means do I think this is exhaustive. But these are the three thoughts that come right out of the scriptures. Number one, the rapture provides hope. The rapture provides hope. Paul said again in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, concerning your loved ones who have fallen asleep in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He says, listen, I cannot take away the, the pain of losing a loved one. You know, anybody that tells you that as a Christian you should never grieve the loss of a loved one is just not in touch with reality. How can you lose a loved one, especially a loved one who has died in Christ and not grieve your loss? Not theirs, but your loss. He says you're going to grieve, but the message of the rapture is going to give you hope in your grief. That you're going to sorrow, just like the world sorrows, but you're going to sorrow in a different way. The world sorrows and grieves at the loss of loved ones with no hope. But you grieve with hope. Because as they have believed upon the Lord, they are with Him forevermore. And as you continue in this faith, you will see them again. In Jesus' mighty name. It's hope. This is, why, this is why Paul said in Titus 2 and verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Christ. It is our blessed hope. Now I've told you this in the past and I want to continue to tell you, you know, hope in the Bible is always, always looking forward. Hope is not today Hope is always looking forward to tomorrow. And for the believer, we look forward with hope of meeting all of our loved ones who have died in Christ Jesus again. Can't help but get worked up on this one, folks. I mean, doesn't that excite? Like, I, I just was thinking about it as I was going over these notes the other day. I can't wait to see my Uncle Sherman. He died when I was in fifth grade, I think it was. But I still vividly remember this great man of God. He was a World War I veteran. Served in the Navy. And I remember getting on his lap in his favorite chair in his study. And he would give me uh, butterscotch candy. And he would talk to me about Jesus. And at times he would talk to me about the war as well. I haven't seen him since fifth grade. But one day, I'll see my uncle. A revered man of God in our church. I used to sit in his seat. When he passed away, I sat in his seat. And, my, and I looked down one time and I, I saw these scuff marks. And I went to my aunt, his wife, who passed away many years later. But I said, what were those scuff marks? She said, he would get so full of the Holy Spirit at times that he just kept going like this as the power of God would just fall upon him. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to see him again one day. I'm going to see my Grammy Boobers, my great-grandmother, my, my grandfather, Sharky, we used to call him. I, I'm going to see my, my great-grandmother, my, uh, Kinney, my grandfather, Kinney, who I never knew, and my father only has a few memories of because he died when he was three years old. I'm going to see them all again one day. But folks, more than that, we're not going to be just reunited with our family. We are going to be united for the first time. With Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. 
<laughs> Can you just think about that? Like everything that we have lived through has been by faith. And I remember those words that Jesus said to the apostles after he rose from the dead. He says, blessed are you, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. I haven't seen him, but I believe. And one day, our faith is going to be sight as we see Jesus face to face. I mean, can you think, can you think of a better song that has ever been written about these things than I can only imagine? Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I stand for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. That is our hope, church. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? You have no victory over the believer. To be absent from this body is to be present with our Lord. And it will be worth it all when we see Him. The rapture, secondly, provides comfort. It provides comfort. Verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Hope is for tomorrow. Comfort is for today. Hope keeps me locked on to the future, but comfort is what I need as I walk through the difficult times of life today. You know, he says, comfort one another with these words. The word comfort there, it means to come alongside. It means to address, to speak, to admonish, to encourage, to instruct, to teach. And what he's saying to them is, listen, I know that you're overwhelmed with the persecution and I know that you're overwhelmed with grief at the loved ones who have died. And, and you know, you're not seeing them now. And I know that every once in a while you get weary and you feel like giving up. But when you feel that way, encourage one another with the message that Christ is coming again. And it will be worth it all. You know, sometimes we get overwhelmed with life and it presses us. But the joy of being a believer is that we can come alongside one another and we can remind each other that this world is not our home and it will be worth it all when you see Jesus face to face. Amen. It just comforts our heart. You know, I'm going to pause here and just say this. I didn't say anything about Charlottesville last Sunday. And that's because that whole day I had been flying. I, I was just getting bits and pieces of it. I didn't know everything that was going on. And Sunday morning I, I got up, but that was after just a few hours of sleep. And I just was just disoriented. And I just didn't know what I should say. But like you, I've been watching all of this and the fallout through the course of this week. And my heart is just so broken just so broken at the state of our country today. And, and while many people are going to throw mud in one direction or the other, I just grieve as a Christian at what is happening. Listen, let me just make this very clear. We hate racism on any level. Racism is ungodly, it is sinful, it is an abomination of God. Racism is an attack on God because all men are created in His image. It is, it is and it doesn't matter, it's not, racism isn't one way, it's many ways, and we hate it in all ways, okay? And I am firmly convinced this morning that racial reconciliation can only happen in Jesus Christ. The only way. You, you, can't, you can't force racial reconciliation upon men and women. All that does is make racism worse. You can't legislate it. You can't force it. You can't drive it down men and women's throat. You can't politicize it even. You can't do it. 
Because race is God-given. And Paul said it this way. Paul said, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither rich nor poor. There is one man in Christ Jesus. Amen. That is going to be our position. And so let the world fight it out. But in this house, this is why I love our church. Because I look around and I see all the diversity that is in here. I I see all shades and all colors. That's the way church should be. It should be that way. And my prayer is that the world will look in and see us loving one another. And they will say, why do we have to make this complicated? When all it will take is for each one of us to lose our identity to Christ Jesus. And in Him, we are one. Comfort one another. Amen. Isn't it going to be great in heaven? All tribes, every tongue, every race will be in heaven around the throne of God. And we will worship Him for all of eternity. And then thirdly and finally, the rapture provides motivation. The rapture provides motivation. Listen to these verses. Jude 1 and verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 2 Peter 3 and verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 1 John 3 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. You see, we don't talk about the rapture anymore. We don't talk about the coming of the Lord And that's why men and women live so loosely today. I think it's time for us to start talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. The rapture so that men and women will be motivated to be pure even as he is pure. That we will look for and hasten the coming of the Lord. That we will keep ourselves in the love of God because we know that Christ could come at any moment. Are you ready Should he come today? He is coming again. There is no question about that. Are you going to be ready when he does? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus' name.